Welcome to the preaching podcast from the Bonners Ferry Baptist Church in Bonners Ferry, Idaho. In 1 Timothy 3.15, it says that the church is the pillar and ground of the truth. Therefore, we believe it is our duty to hold fast and to hold forth the truth, which is the Word of God. We're glad that you're listening and hope that you will be encouraged by what you hear today. All right, stand with me if you would, please. Revelation chapter 3 beginning in verse 1. And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God, and the seven stars, I know thy works, that thou hast a name, that thou livest, and art dead. Be watchful, and strengthen the things which remain, that are ready to die. For I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received, and heard, And hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my father, And before his angels, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. Thank you. You may be seated. There's a bit to cover. It's only six verses tonight, but as I've studied through this, these six verses have a lot of content that I think will catch our interest. So I'm going to endeavor to give you the entire message tonight. If we get short on time, I'm going to cut it in half. Um, I don't think that will happen, but I've said that before. So... It's better if we go into it knowing we may just need to stop somewhere in the middle because there's some things I believe need to be addressed in this and they need to have time given to them. Um, The church in Sardis, they only get one small commendation and that is that there are a few of you who haven't defiled your garments. Now that stands out to me. Here you're talking about a church and only a few members of that church were not defiled in sin. The, it, we expect that in the world, do we not? That you might meet a few people out in the world that aren't corrupted and filthy in their character and their personal conduct and life. Most people are defiled with all sorts of sins, but this was in one of God's churches, that it was a minority of people in one of His churches that were living a pure life. That could describe many a church in the United States of America. It's sad when purity has become a minority in the house of God. And that ought to serve at the onset of this. We'll talk about that and deal with that and preach on that when we get to that portion. But that's one aspect of this church that jumps off the page at me. Uh, it's a, a very interesting church. I think probably the most, this church is in the, in the worst spiritual condition of all the ones we've looked at thus far. The only one that will be worse than this one is the church of the Laodiceans, which we will see in in, in finality. So we have two more churches after this, of course, Philadelphia and Laodicea. And so I'll give you a few tidbits about Sardis that I think are just interesting. I I enjoy finding out about these cities and are they still in existence today and uh, that kind of thing. Just give you a couple of of tidbits that I think are just interesting about the city of Sardis. Uh, It was the capital of Lydia, the region called Lydia, one of the things I thought was interesting is it is said to be the home of Aesop, who wrote Aesop's fables. He was called Aesop of Sardis by, by some other writers, some other authors. But when it comes to Sardis, it, the only thing that remains of Sardis today are ruins. 
it's gone. It was a very wealthy city at one point in time. Uh, my understanding is that the streams that flowed into it would actually bring gold dust into their streams. They, could get, they called it gold sand. They could sift it out, and there was gold and silver in the sand, and so it became a very wealthy city. Um, I just think it's interesting. You can read about all seven of these cities. They are uh, historically, uh, there's a lot of information about them, and so I thought those were a few things that were interesting about Sardis. Uh, it was nearly destroyed. I, I forget at what point in time. I think in the first century uh, A.D., uh, was nearly destroyed entirely by an earthquake, and uh, Rome paid to have it rebuilt and relieved the city of taxes for five years so they could get back on their feet, and it was restored to somewhat its former glory. It's just, just interesting, but I think it was by, uh, by, by, I don't know, 1100, the city was gone. It was, it was no longer in existence, and today there are some ruins there from a synagogue and some other things that you could see, but the city of Sardis is no more. So if you want to know, is there still a church in Sardis? The answer would be no. There's not even Sardis, let alone a church in Sardis. But uh, one, of the, one of the things pointed out by one of the fellows I've been reading after is how amazing and, and sad and interesting it is that at one point in time, Asia Minor was, uh, the, this, this region of the world was a bright spot for the gospel, meaning the gospel went into this region. Paul preached in Asia. He, uh, obviously, John preached in Asia. And there were these seven churches that were getting the light of the gospel today it's one of the darkest spiritual regions of the world. Uh, it is, uh, I believe it was last week uh, that we were looking uh, at Thyatira. I believe it was last week. And it, my understanding is either Thyatira or Pergamos 1 has today 15 mosques in that city. And where there used to be a church preaching the gospel today, there's false religion. And it's just amazing how the light has gone out there. And so it tells us that churches do come and go. Now the institution abides, amen? Uh, but the fact of the matter is that that serves as a caution to us and uh, we, we should take instruction from these churches and what the Lord has to say. So I think those, those facts are just some interesting things to know about the city of Sardis. Um, as we look at this, we'll do the same thing we've been doing, the same basic outline. We'll look at the characterization of Christ to the church, the comprehension that Christ had of the church, the counsel of the Lord Jesus Christ to the church, and then the consolation he gives uh, following his counsel. So let's begin with his characterization in verse 1. And all of these are, he gives his full description of himself in Revelation chapter 1 to John, and then he chooses certain aspects of those attributes uh, to relate to each church depending on their needs. So under the angel says in verse 1, and under the angel of the church in Sardis write, these things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Uh, I'd love to give you a full explanation as to why he uses this. What I would say, as we've said before, when referring to the seven spirits, it's not like the Lord God, we say he's a trinity and the Holy Spirit is seven persons in one. No, the description of seven spirits has to do with the omnipresence, omniscience, and omnipotence of the Holy Spirit. The Holy Spirit of God has been present in every age of mankind, whether it was in the, in, in the creation or in the age of innocence or whatever may be, he has been present in every age. His eyes are in every place. And so it's just a, it's a description of the Holy Spirit. We say that because it's capitalized. It's capital S. And so it's a description of him. And what we understand is there's a unique relationship, obviously, between each person of the Godhead. God is one. God the Father, God the Son, and God the Holy Spirit. One Lord. And yet we find each, or each person of the Godhead operating in different ways in the Word of God. And what the Lord Jesus Christ is communicating is, my Holy Spirit 
is, is in every place. His knowledge is perfect. It's without fault and flaw. We know that the words of the Lord are pure. The word of God is perfect. So the Lord Jesus is going to give an assessment of this church. You can know for sure he got his assessment from the Holy Spirit of God. See, while Christ is in heaven, he sent the Holy Spirit to earth. And so there's perfect knowledge. The Lord Jesus Christ has perfect knowledge of everything that's going on here. Romans 8 reminds us that the Spirit of God uh, searches our heart. He makes intercession for the believer with groanings which cannot be uttered. He communicates with the Lord Jesus Christ, God the Son. God the Son, the Lord Jesus Christ, communicates to God the Father. There's nothing that the Holy Spirit knows that Jesus Christ doesn't know. Nothing that Jesus knows that God the Father doesn't know. Uh, so the idea of saying, uh, I'm, I'm the one that has the seven spirits, those seven spirits are, de are, are described in Revelation as the eyes of God, meaning his eyes, seven, the number of completion or perfection, there is nowhere, read Psalm 139, there's nowhere that God's eyes are not. God sees into the very pit of hell. <laughs> David said, if I go to hell, thou art there. How? The Spirit of God, by the way, how do we know the eyes of God can see in hell? He describes it to us. The Holy Spirit describes hell to us. His eyes are there. So the seven eyes or the seven spirits describes as the eyes of God it's to, it is to help us understand God's eyes are in every period of time, in every place. He is, he is not restrained by dimensions. And here's why this is important to this church. Their name as to what they are or were did not match up with who they really were. They had a name or a reputation with men that was not what God knew them to be. They appeared to be one thing, but they were really something else. So I think there's significance for sure in the Lord Jesus saying, I am the one that has the seven spirits of God. You have a, a name with men, but I'm going to describe you. The Laodiceans had the same problem. I'm going to describe you what you really are. Here's what you appear to be, but I'm going to describe what you really are. And the seven stars uh, are the seven angels. We understand about angels. They are messengers. And so the, he, he sees what this church is, and he is going to give them a perfect assessment or judgment as to what they are. Uh, the messengers delivering back and forth between God and men, uh, the, the, the word of God and so forth. And so I don't, again, don't fully understand, except for stars give light, stars communicate, uh, and the angels there, the seven stars are the seven angels that are in the hand of the Lord Jesus Christ. So really he's uh, helping them to be reminded of some of the same things the other churches are reminded, that he's on the throne, he is ruling, his eyes are in every place, and he is getting communication very clear and perfect as to the true state and condition of that church. I believe it's wise for us to do this. To make a regular, don't sit and dwell on yourself, that's dangerous, but to have a regular assessment or judgment of oneself to say, am I what I appear to be before men? Any discrepancy between what I appear to be and what I am is the size of hypocrisy in my life. Any discrepancy between what men think I am and what I really am is the measure of hypocrisy in my life. Hypocrisy is appearing to be something to men better or different than what I really am. All right? So I can project myself as holy, as a lover of God, someone who lives by faith, but inwardly be unbelieving, impure, spiritually dead, to be honest with you. That's what we're going to say about this church. They had a name that they were alive, but they were dead. And so then the, Lord is the Lord's word is always going to speak not to what men think we are, but what he knows we are. 
It has been stated, and I think this is an accurate statement by many a preacher that I've heard, reputation is what men think you are. Character is what God knows you are. We're not concerned tonight with what men think we are. At least we shouldn't be. We need to be concerned with what God knows we are, and that's how the Lord is going to approach this church. So he that hath the seven spirits of God uh, speaks of the fact that the Lord has perfect knowledge. He that hath the seven stars or these angels, he's going to communicate to them a message that is accurate. It's going to be a perfect message, meaning there's... How many have ever had somebody say something to you, and you're like, yeah, what you said is true, but it's not the whole truth. So meaning by, by leaving facts out, you can mislead people, Right? How many can ever, you know, you know you could take a snippet of what somebody says and paint them out to be a monster? Absolutely. It's one of the, the scary things about preaching. It's like, yeah, you're recorded, and people could take a snippet of what you say. It's like, nah, you could do a lot of, lot of things with that, right, if you don't tell the whole truth. Um, how many of you know that sometimes by withholding truth, we can, somebody says, ask you a question, and you give an assessment uh, do you know anything about this? And we're very careful how we answer because we don't want somebody to think bad of us. And so we tell the truth, but we leave some facts out so that we leave people thinking of us better than we are. Are you with me? Sometimes we add things. Sometimes we, we throw in a little snippet of information that's true, but it misrepresents reality. Are you with me? How many of you know we can use truth to deceive? God never does. The seven, the seven angels... Uh, these seven angels being messengers, their message is going to be complete, whether it is the message from the Lord to the church or from the church back to the Lord, the Holy Spirit's assessment uh, back and forth, whatever it may be, the message is going to be you need add nothing to it or take anything from it. Psalm 19.7 tells us the law of the Lord is perfect, converting the soul. Uh, and so if you want some other notes, if you're taking notes, you want to reference some other verses about the Lord's perfect knowledge. We saw uh, last week, I believe it was the week before, Jeremiah 17, 9 and 10, uh, the heart is deceitful above all things and desperately wicked. Who can know it? I, the Lord, search the heart and reigns. Uh, Revelation 2, 23, the chapter just prior, uh, the Bible says, and I will kill her children with death. I'm talking about the church there in Thyatira, and I will kill her children with death, and all the churches shall know that I am he with, which searcheth the reins and hearts. And I will give unto every one of you according to your works. This church is being reminded of the truth that he communicated to the church previous. And so that is that he has perfect knowledge and perfect communication concerning what he knows. And so then, uh, that's point number one, the characterization of Christ. It's he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars. Number two, the comprehension of Christ uh, here in verses two and three. Uh, he says to them, or excuse me, verse one, uh, we're still in verse 1, the comprehension of Christ. He says, And unto the angel of the church in Sardis write, These things saith he that hath the seven spirits of God and the seven stars, I know thy works. Now, the church is prior. Uh, he'll say, I know thy works, and I know this, and I know this. So, for instance, Thyatira got a fairly good report. I know thy works, thy charity, thy patience, all those things. And, thy, and then he says again, thy works, and thy la the last to be, uh, to be better or greater than the first. And so the church in Thyatira had a good name of having done works and not only beginning works, but finishing works, starting works and finishing or completing works. This church is quite contrasted with the church in Thyatira in this regard. The Lord Jesus says, I know thy works, but then there's nothing else good to say. <laughs> I don't, I don't, it's not that I know thy works and thy charity and thy patience. I know thy works. Then he goes on to say that thou hast a name that thou livest and art 
dead. This is what we referred to a few minutes ago as we introduced this. This church uh, had a reputation, but it wasn't the reality. And so then he's going to speak of three things in, in verse 1, there in the end of verse 1. He said, I know thy works. The Lord knew the results of his salvation in their life. He'll speak of their works again later. We'll say what he has to say about that when we get to it. But I know thy works. The Lord says, I see what you're doing. I see the result of my saving grace in your life. So he knew the results in their life. Letter B, he knew their reputation. He says that thou hast a name that thou livest. Meaning if you asked anybody about this church in Sardis, what do you know about that church? They say, oh, that's a living church right there. It's alive. There are churches today that have a name that they're living. Yeah, boy, that church is a going thing. Man, what fruit. Boy, what God is doing in that church. You realize it's possible to have the appearance of being alive when you're not? Do you realize you and I can, can fabricate life? We'll give you some illustrations tonight that I, I hope will be helpful. I'm going to borrow one from uh, the author, John Phillips, and I'm going to give you one of my own that I think might help us understand some things tonight. I believe, I believe this is a sad state in America. I'm going to give you what is my assessment. So this is not doctrine. This is just my assessment from my experience. So it is subjective but the fact of the matter is, what I have observed is there are churches that are operating all over this country that appear to be alive because of the programs or because of the activity that's going on. How many of you know that dead spiritually, and he's talking about the spiritual state of this church, spiritually dead people can produce outward results? Absolutely. Uh, many of the churches that are in our country today they, they, we, we, do, we no more have the Spirit of God actively working in the lives of people and transforming people than it is down at the bar down the street. It's just an organization where we come in, we use the name of Jesus in our music, we open this spiritual book called the Bible, we go through the routines of what we call church. Church has been so changed. And by the way, a church is not alive simply because it aligns with certain traditions. Now, there are some things that the Bible talks about and calls traditions that we need to hold on to. But my point is this. There are churches that may seem vibrant. They may be exciting. The music program may be exciting. How many of you know this? Just because something stirs your emotions doesn't mean it's alive. You can sit in a rock and roll concert and have your emotions stirred, and I promise you that is death. So just because something makes you feel vibrant inside, just because something excites you, just because I look forward to something, doesn't mean it's living. This church had a name or a reputation in their community that they were alive. People said, man, that, that, there's some things going on down there. But it wasn't alive. It had an appearance that did not match reality. By the way, you want to find something that the Lord Jesus is severe on. It's this. You want to find something the Lord Jesus absolutely hates? It's hypocrisy. You'll never find in your Bible him having patience with hypocrisy. The Lord has patience with ignorance. He will not upbraid us for being, being deficient in wisdom. If we're honest and we say, Lord, I'm lacking wisdom, he said he will not upbraid us. He'll not, he'll not be hard on us. But something he will, he upbraided his disciples with unbelief. You know what is the root of hypocrisy? Unbelief, unbelief, pride, and the fear of man produce. Those are the ingredients that produce hypocrisy. They are the ingredients that give the appearance that we are alive when we're dead. The Pharisees had an appearance that they were alive. They, they gave all the characteristics of being alive unto God. They prayed, 
They fasted, they tithed, they were in the place that was called the house of God, and they had no more spiritual life in them than the devil himself. True? He said, you're of your father, the devil. It is possible to have the appearance that we're living when we're dead. There are churches all over this nation that are dead because God's not in, 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 in working within. The spiritual life has been cut off, and so the Lord knew their results. He knew their reputation. He said, I know what men say about you, but what men think about you and what men say about you is not true because I see the reality. That's the third thing. He knew the reality. Let me give you this example first. How many of you know that when Christmas time comes, if you do a Christmas tree, you have a couple of options. You can get an artificial tree, and everybody knows it's dead. Or you can get a living tree that's not really alive. How <laughs> I many you know once you cut it off from the stump, it's dead? It will not ever come back to life. Now, if you dig that thing out by the roots and replant it, it it's going to live, hopefully. <laughs> but if you cut that thing, it's dead. But what do we do for two or three weeks if we have a living tree? We put it in a basin that you can put water in to make it look alive when it's dead. True? I, I love a Christmas tree. I think they're beautiful as far as to look at. They're, they're, they, good memories attached. Some people say, oh, it's an idol. Well, they don't have one, but I, I'm going to have one. I enjoy it. So you put that in. I like a live tree. You know why? They smell good. Man, I, I love to smell that. You know one of the reasons a live tree smells good? It's dying. And as they die, they put off that beautiful scent out of their needles because it's trying to survive and it can't. There are churches that have decorated their churches with lights and ornaments, ministries or activities. We got to be busy. Busyness means we're living, right? That's what we think, but it's not true. It's not necessarily a busy church. It means it's a living church. You see, life comes from where? The Word of God. And once the people inside the church start cutting off the Word of God, death enters. You see, life is ministered to us through the Word. Death is ministered through cutting it off. How do we cut off the Word of God? Unbelief. God says something, we say, I don't accept that. I don't submit to that. And that's where death comes in. We'll say a little bit more about that in a minute. But I think a Christmas tree is a good example of something that has a name that it's alive. It looks alive. It, it, you know what? You see, it makes you feel good. It gives you a warm feeling inside. There's all these gifts underneath it. But you know what it really is? It's dead. It's been cut off, and it's dead. And we, we water that thing, and we decorate that thing, and we beautify that thing, and give it a name that it's living when it is dead. John Phillips gives this analogy. I think it's a good one. It says, astronomers tell us that light from the polar star takes 33 years to reach the earth. That star could have been plunged into darkness 30 years ago and its light would still be pouring down to earth today. It would be shining in the sky tonight from our standpoint as brightly as if nothing had happened. It could be a dead star shining solely by the light of a brilliant past. The church of Sardis was like that. It had a name, but it was dead. It was shining solely by the light of a brilliant past, what it used to be. There are Christians like this. And I don't mean you can lose your salvation, but in the sense of spiritual blindness or spiritual apathy, all their Christian experiences, boy, used to. Boy, I remember when, and sometimes they don't even do that, but the fact of the matter is a church can, can have a name that it's living but left its life way back there, somewhere. I'll say this, this church now 16 years old from the time of its, of its birth. That's still a fairly young church. 
God has, has blessed. God, we're a small church, but God has blessed us. God has given us life. What God has honored in Bonner's Ferry Baptist Church is this book. That's what God has honored. Not personalities. We honor his word, the belief of his book. And so then, we do not want to get to the point and say, boy, do you remember back when we sent a missionary out? Boy, do you remember back when people used to go out and give out the gospel house to house? Boy, do you remember back when we used to get excited about giving out gospel tracts? Do you remember when it used to be like that? Do you remember back when, you know, things were, were there was an excitement about being spoken to in church by the word of God? Do you remember when you'd come to church and actually anticipate coming instead of dreading and waiting until it's over? You with me tonight? How long does it take a church to slip into that? Not very long. Not very long. So it serves as a warning to us to not be this kind of a church. We have a name that we're living. Here's what happened. There are churches that the majority of people inside that church have decided we really don't want to accept what the Scripture has to say. But we're not ready to shut down. So we've got, and when there's not genuine moving of God in the lives of people, you've got to do something else. So we create programs and activities that make everything busy and active but it's not response to the word of God. It's just to make it look like we're living when we're dead. And that's what's going on at the church of Sardis. They had been living at one point in time, but Jesus says not anymore. The Lord says, as I assess you, you have a name. People think you're alive. You have a name that you're living, but you're dead. So that's the comprehension of Christ. He com comprehended their, their results or their works, their reputation, and the reality of their situation. Number three, we see the counsel of Christ beginning in verse two. First thing he says is be watchful. Be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die. Uh, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember therefore how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch, I will come on thee as a thief and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. We'll say more about verse 4 when we get down to it here in just a minute. I'm going to give you six things out of these two, out of these two verses here uh, that the Lord gives them by way of counsel. First of all, he tells them, he calls them to readiness. He says, be watchful. The word watchful means to keep awake. That is to, be, to watch or be vigilant. You might say, well, the Lord said they're dead. They were, but there was just a little bit of life inside this dead organism. How many of you have ever seen a tree that falls over and everything withers away and it dies and then a sprout comes out of the roots. I think it's what you had going on here. The tree's dead. But there is an offshoot that if it, will, if it will respond properly to the word of God, there can be a revival. Even Sardis could have revival. Do you realize that when the Lord says repent, he's calling his churches to revival. Here's a church that is in the, in the eyes of the Lord. You're a dead church. And by the way, I just think it's so interesting that they had a name that they were alive. We think of a dead church, and we think of a church you go in and, oh, and yawn the whole way through. Well, it may be, but it may be the most vibrant, active church you've been around in the community. You would? But it can still be dead. And so then he's saying, I want to revive you, but if you're going to be revived, you've got to be awake. Throughout Scripture, we are required and commanded over and over and over and over to watch. It's the same idea as be sober, be Vigilant, if you are not paying attention to your spiritual life, you're declining. You cannot have a haphazard or a lethargic attitude about your spiritual state. You have to watch. You have to be on guard. 
may I say this? I, I mean no unkindness, but, but some, some even here tonight, you, you need to be more alert about your spiritual state. Uh, there are times as a pastor, I said, they're slipping. They're, they're not concerned about the things of God like they used to be, and it shows. But you know who the last person to find out normally is? The person who's slipping. They feel like, no, I'm justified in what I'm doing. I'm fine, I'm fine, I'm good, I'm good, I'm good. No, no, the Lord says, be watchful. Here you are dead, and you don't, you don't know that. I, I'm telling you, your church is dead, but you need to wake up. The word watchful, again, means to keep awake. That is to watch or to be vigilant. The Lord Jesus said, watch ye and pray, lest ye enter into temptation. We've got to be watching for Satan and his attacks. If you're not watching, he's going to shoot you in the back. If you're not watching, you'll step in one of his snares. You and I cannot stay on course. The Bible says, be sober, be vigilant. It also says, see then that ye walk circumspectly, meaning pay attention to spiritual things. Sadly, spiritual things are often on the bottom category for folk. Many times, some, something has crept into someone's spirit, something that's contrary to the word of God, something that's contrary to the Lord himself. The spirit of God has been grieved, and we're not even aware. You know, sometimes you have a marriage, and a husband and wife have gone weeks, and he's like, man, I think something's wrong with her. And he finally says, honey, is something bothering you? She says, yeah, for the last three years. Where have you been? I've said this, and I said this trying to be kind and, and let you know that this was bothering me, it was upsetting to me, and I've said so many things that now, and boom, here it all comes out like a flood, right? So how did that happen? He wasn't paying attention. He was not even paying attention. There are times spiritually, man, we go boom, we crash and we burn because we were not watching we were not paying attention. We're to watch for our adversary. Be sober, be vigilant, because your adversary, the devil, has a roaring lion. Walketh about seeking whom he may devour. I'll challenge again every young person in this room. You know this. Your entire life is ahead of you. You, you kids, you've got a bullseye on you from your adversary. And if you are not paying attention spiritually, you are in trouble as I speak to you. You're not paying attention uh, to God and to his word as it's being preached. If you're finding something else that you would rather be attentive to, you're going to get in trouble spiritually. You have an adversary that has a roaring lion is just waiting for an opportunity. So you're trying to scare us. No, you don't need to be scared. You need to be vigilant. You need to know what temptation is when it comes your way and pay attention how to overcome it and apply yourself to God's word and be vigilant because you have an adversary. You know what else supposed to watch for? The return of Christ. When he says watch, it is so many times in connection. First of all, he says watch because of temptation, but he also tells us to watch because he's coming and we don't want to be caught not ready. <laughs> That is, we won't take time to read the scriptures, but in, in uh, Mark 13 and Matthew 24, here he says, if you don't watch, I'm going to come like a thief. I'm going to catch you off guard. You know what? When parents go away and they leave assignments for children to be done, if the children are not vigilant or watchful, next thing you know, mom and dad are back home and the chores didn't get done. And then it's like, oh, no. So the idea of being watchful is be attentive. If you know you have a spiritual responsibility, Apply yourself to it. Be attentive. You don't want the Lord to come and say, I wasn't ready for the judgment seat yet. I got some things out of order. Right? We don't want that. So watch. Uh, and so the Lord says, be watchful. You, 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 need to, you need to wake up. You've let some things go to the point of death, but those, the life that's there, you need to be watchful. The first thing is, 
uh, he calls them to is to readiness for them to be living in a state of readiness, readiness for their enemy, readiness for the Lord's return, readiness to take steps of obedience. We need to live in that way. And so there's, there's an entire message that could be preached on living ready. Paul told Timothy, be instant in season, out of season, meaning whether it's a fruit-bearing season or non-fruit-bearing season, you be ready. Instant means ready for God to use you at any given time. Some people, if you have the idea, well, I, I am preparing to serve God, that's good, but you know how you get ready for serving God tomorrow? Do what you need to do to serve God today. And if you're doing what you need to do to serve God today, you'll be ready to serve Him tomorrow. So he calls them to readiness, number one. Number two, he calls them to reinforce. He says this, uh, uh, back to Revelation chapter 3, be watchful, and then he says, and strengthen the things which remain. You're dead, but there are some things that are remaining that are worth, that are worth shoring up. There are still some things, there are things that remain, things that have not died or deteriorated yet. What, whatever there is good, strengthen those, shore those up. And so then uh, the things that will remain, you're dead. As an organism, you're dead, but there are things inside of there that are still remaining, meaning they are of eternal value. Strengthen those things. Now, I wonder, you know, for you and I, you're blessed tonight and I'm blessed tonight. I'm, I'm, I'm thankful to be in this church that God allows us to be. And do you realize there are people tonight when they read this, they're like, this is, my, this is my church. Everything around us is dead. There's no spiritual life in the music. There's no spiritual life in the preaching. I mean, is there anything around here that's still alive and there are people that are genuinely saved and they're in a church like this? It's dead. And what the Lord Jesus says is, get out of there as quick as you can. Huh? It's actually not what he said. He said, first of all, be watchful. For those of you who can hear me, wake up spiritually. Be attentive to my word. Be attentive to my return. Be attentive because of your adversary. Again, 1 Peter 5, verse 8. Uh, the things that we're told to be watchful about. And by the way, you cannot disconnect watching and praying. We sang the song tonight, Did You Think to Pray? If you want a measurement of how spiritually awake I am, test your prayer life. If your prayer life is, well, I'll cram 30 seconds in here and I'll throw in two minutes there and I pray over every meal, you're asleep spiritually. <laughs> I'm just telling you. You know what? When Peter and James and John were supposed to be praying, what were they doing? Now, that's physical, but that's also a spiritual picture. If it, what we see in them physically is the picture of if we're not praying, we're sleeping. It is spiritual, it's prayer that keeps us spiritually alert. May I say this tonight? If praying and spending time with the Lord in prayer is not on your priority list, you're not watching. You say, we, we finished that point. Well, we're going back to it. <laughs> Watch and pray. Those two words are, are, are connected over and over and over and over. The way we're going to watch for the Savior is prayer. The way we're going to watch for our enemy is prayer. Uh, when you look through the, the, the whole armor of God, Ephesians 6, 10 through 18, verses 10 through 17 are the pieces of armor. Verse 18, the, the finalization is, is, as you've put all this on, praying always with all prayer and supplication, meaning don't neglect any part of prayer. Don't neglect thanksgiving. Don't neglect confession. Don't neglect intercession. All prayer and supplication, uh, you, you, you include it all. You, you, that's what's going to keep you alert spiritually as a soldier. And so then the Lord tells this church, be, uh, be ready. Number two, reinforce. The things that remain, strengthen. You might, let's look at this in the broader sense. In our country, I don't think it's a stretch to say the majority of institutions that call themselves a church are not living. Most things that are called church 
are not responding like a living organism to the Word of God. You know what? There comes a time with the Christmas tree you pour water in and two days later the needles are browner than they were two days before and you realize it's not responding as a living organism. If you have a living plant and you pour water on it, you tell me what happens. That thing perks up. It responds to the water. You know one of the, the signs of a dead church? The Bible's preached, nothing happens. No change. No decisions different. No change of lifestyle. No spiritual vigor. No boldness. No zeal. No concern for the unsaved. No concern for the Great Commission. The Word of God is preached. Uh, no confession of sin. Everything just stays the same. A dead organism doesn't respond to living things. You with me? But you know what? The Lord said there's a few things there, and there's a few that are there that are still alive. They've remained. They're not, I mean, you say there's, there's some things there that are of eternal value. Strengthen those. You know what we need to do as Christians today? Many churches have lost a, a fervency for the Word of God. You know what? We have a Bible that God gave us miraculously over 400 years ago. You know what we need to do? Strengthen the hold on this book. You know, this church needs to strengthen what does remain. We still have the Bible. I understand most of God's people, most churches in this country have abandoned this Bible and hate the position this church holds. I don't know if anything gets mocked harder or more fervently than the KJVO. <laughs> I mean, by people that claim to be Christians. Oh, that's cultic. It's this. Can I encourage you? To, to, you know what brings us to that position we're teaching on the doctrine of the Bible last night, Bible Institute? Do you know why tonight I'm holding a King James Bible? I don't start the day saying, well, Grandpa was King James only and Daddy was King James only. Well, praise the Lord, me too. <laughs> That's just nonsense. Do you know why? We believe what the Bible actually says and it leads you to one position. We believe that God inspired the Bible and yet we believe that it, we still have the inspired Word of God today because of preservation. We believe that the same God who miraculously transmitted his word from heaven to earth can transmit it from generation to generation and language to language. We just happen to have, we want to hold a position of faith, not of unbelief, and that leads us to one Bible. There's only one Bible that represents that, that belief system. The only other position to hold is to say, you know what? It's impossible to have a perfect Bible today because, of, by the way, there's two positions. We either have God's word today that God preserved through translation or you take the position it's impossible for God to preserve his words through translation. Everyone who believes multiple English Bibles are good believes this. You can't preserve God's original words through translation. It's impossible. Is that a position of faith? It is not. Or you say, you know what? The God who gave the words can keep the words. And it would be wonderful if we had a verse that actually said he would do that. Oh, wait, we do. In fact, we have more than one. We have in the Old Testament, we have in the New Testament. Heaven and earth shall pass away but my words shall not pass away. The fact that I can read that and understand that is a fulfillment of what the promise was, that was made. You say, what does this have to do the message tonight? Hold to the belief that we have a perfect Bible. Let's strengthen that position. Not only hold it, but let's strengthen it. Shore it up. Meaning, get your, you say, how can I strengthen something that remains? Get your own personal convictions on these issues. Don't ride on the coattails of a pastor or a preacher. You find out what the Holy Spirit of God has to say on this and strengthen it with faith. Shore up what you believe with Bible verses. Dig in that book and find out what you believe and why you believe it. Amen?
Strengthen the things that remain. Uh, the, the idea, the concept that the church is a called out people that we are to be separate from the world through holiness. That is a doctrine that is falling by the way in so many churches, but a doctrine that is so clear in Scripture that what separates us from the world is our devotion to God and His Word. Preaching in the jail last night, and I'm preaching to the fellows about a generation that are pure in their own eyes and yet is not washed from their filthiness. So we have a generation of people that are doing things that God says, that's filthy. And they say, I don't feel filthy. And I use the example of a particular sin. And two of the young men said, that's us. <laughs> and just blurted her out. One guy says, me and you, man. I said, and it's filthy. Because God says it's filthy. And what happens is, what should separate, here's what's sad, the sin I mentioned is often commonplace among people who belong to the church. Yikes. You know what should separate us? And the, You know what the Lord Jesus said separated some that were in this church? He said they've not defiled their garments like most of you have. What separates God's people from the devil's people is purity and holiness. Because of a devotion to Christ, because of his love for us, my point is this, you know what we need to do that doctrine tonight? You know what we need to do with the doctrine of separation? Not throw it away, strengthen it. It remains, shore it up <laughs> with the word of God. And so then strengthen the things which remain. So there was a call to readiness, be watchful, a call to reinforce, strengthen the things which remain. We can give other examples, we'll, we'll move on. Letter C, there's a call to remember. This deals with their past. He says in verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, meaning they're just hanging on by a thread. Let me, let me try to give one little more illustration before we go on. How many of you have ever had, seen somebody and they had a tooth and it was starting to die? And they go to the dentist and the dentist says, I'm going to try to save the tooth. And he gives some instructions about what you can do to save that tooth because the roots are decaying. That's kind of what was left in the church. Dying, but just hanging on. And the Lord says, strengthen it, nourish it. Nourish what you have and strengthen what remains, okay? And so then, a call to reinforce, and then he goes on to say, strengthen the things which remain which are, that are ready to die. Then he, he says this about them. We'll say this before we move to verse 3. For I have not found thy works perfect. And notice the next two words, before God. It gives the impression again, they might have been a perfect church before men. The word perfect here means incomplete. Let me read you the definition. The word perfect means to make replete. So to make replete, that is to cram or to level up uh, or to furnish. Okay, what is, what is 2, Corinthians, 2 Timothy 3, 17? Gentlemen, help me. You were in class last night. All scripture, verse 16, is given by inspiration of God and is profitable for doctrine, for reproof, for correction, for instruction in righteousness, that the man of God may be, what's that? Perfect. And what's the next few words? Throughly furnished unto how many good works? All good works. If it's a good work in our life, what good work does God want us to leave undone? There were some things that the church at Sardis should have done they never did. They never did them. I'm going to continue to preach on this. The sin of neglect is as serious as the sin of, of intentional sin. Meaning, I know I should. I ain't going to. I'm not going to do it. I know I should pray. I should fast and pray, but I'm not going to. It's just, it's, I don't have time in my life. I know I should memorize scripture, but I don't, you know, it's not a priority. I know I should make a point to speak to others about the gospel and about the Lord. 
but that's not me. I know I should, but I know when the Lord speaks to me, I probably should respond right away, like by obedience, right away. But what would people think of me? You with me tonight? When the Lord says, I've not found thy works perfect, he means there are things left undone. There are things you should have done, and as I examine your works, they're not there. You weren't truly furnished unto all good works. I'll say this again tonight, because I think this church needs to hear this. I mean, I mean, with gentleness, kindness, but we need to hear this. Sometimes we get the idea that not doing what is right is not as bad as doing what we know is wrong. That's not what God's Word says. Do you know what killed the church at Sardis? Not doing what they should have. Just not doing it. There are members of this church, and I'm not being, again, I'm going to be very careful how I say. They say, well, I know I should come to church more, but I know how to, I know how to be in church more. I know I should make more of a priority of assembling. But when that becomes the habit of the entire church, well, I know there's some things. I know. I know I should get more serious about my prayer. I, I, I know that. Therefore, to him that knoweth to do good and doeth it not, to him it is sin. And the Bible says, the hand of the diligent shall bear rule, but the slothful shall be under tribute. He that dealeth with a slack hand. You know what slack is? I'm going to do it, but not with my might. Yeah, I know I ought to rejoice, but you know how hard my life is. I know I ought to be more thankful, but I got a lot of problems. We're hearing the pattern? You see, God's not interested in what we know. He said, I know thy works. He's interested in what we do. And I ask you tonight, what is it in your life tonight that you know God wants you to be putting your hand to and you're just procrastinating that. I know I should be. I know I ought to talk to so-and-so. I, I know it. I know it. So I don't have the strength. Then you get on your knees and beg for that strength. If God wants something done, well, I don't think you have to beg. Just ask and it shall be given you. Seeking you shall find. See, here tonight, I think we're in a room filled with Bible knowledge. This is Thursday night Bible study. We got a lot of Bible knowledge packed in this room, but that means we have a lot of responsibility. To whom much is given of the same as much required. Does the Lord look at us tonight and say, I've not found your works perfect? Paul told Timothy, Make full proof of thy ministry. Wouldn't it be a shame to be at the judgment seat and the Lord say, You know? You know, Bonner Street Baptist Church, I had in my plans for you to send out 25 missionaries out of your church. I had that in my plans, but you only sent out one. So that's not possible. God is sovereign. But God gave us the ability to respond to him by faith or unbelief. Unbelievers, lost and saved alike. You realize saved people can act in unbelief? Yeah. I had this plan for you. I, in fact, had put my call on that one and that one and that one. And I don't know who all God's called and who has it in that capacity. God knows. But you were too interested in the things of earth. You weren't watchful. You weren't paying attention when I was speaking to you. 
You let some things creep into your life that turned your heart away from me. And when I spoke to you, I was ready to use you. You couldn't be used because you didn't, you did, it wasn't what you did. You wouldn't spend time in my word like I told you. You, you wouldn't take the effort to combat sin with the word of God like I instructed you. I made a way of escape. I promised you that, but you never found it. You with me tonight? And so tonight, the Lord says, you have to strengthen the things which remain because I see your works and they're not found perfect before God. I mean, it doesn't matter what man thinks you are. God sees there's some things you should have done and you didn't do. Some things you should have done and you didn't do. May I say this? A church like this, again, I understand we're small, but we have a unique thing here, and the Lord's blessed us, made good to us. These young people in this room, I think if we had Bible memory competition, we could go on for a while. As I said, a lot of Bible knowledge here. I'll say it again. To whom much is given of the same is much required. Freely you have received, freely give. And so the Lord's holding this church accountable, not for what they had done, but what they hadn't done. I've not found your works perfect. Now, I'll say this. The Lord's being very gentle. He's not railing on them, but he's being very sharp and precise. Can we agree? Your works are not perfect. You've not crammed them full. Uh, how many ever heard the statement, don't leave anything on the field? Meaning you pour everything out. This is my heart's desire, and I know the Spirit of God's planted there. When I die, I don't want to look back and say, man, I slacked. I could have given more effort to the things of God. I could have, I could have given more effort to knowing the mind and will of God, and it just wasn't important to me. Don't you want to go to heaven and know you didn't leave anything down here? <laughs> In the sense of loving the Lord with all your heart and soul and mind and strength. And so the Lord, he did not find their works perfect. There were things they knew to do that were good, and they did them not. Did them not. And so uh, they weren't perfect. And so he calls them to readiness, to reinforce. He calls them to remember. He, he commands them to retain. Verse 2, be watchful and strengthen the things which remain that are ready to die, for I have not found thy works perfect before God. Remember, therefore, so there's the remember, how thou hast received and heard. You remember how used to you receive my word and you would hear what I had to say? Remember what that was like. Go back and remember when I would speak and you would receive my words instead of rejecting them. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard. By the way, that's what's necessary to be saved. But as many as received him to them gave you power to become the sons of God, even them believe on his name. Remember, therefore, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast. Now he's dealing with present. There are things that I gave you. Don't let go of them. If you have the truth, buy the truth and sell it not. If you know it's true, don't release it for any reason. Hold it fast. So he's a command to retain. Remember, therefore, verse 3, how thou hast received and heard and hold fast and repent. Meaning, there's a different view. I've got one view of you and you've got another. You need to receive my words now and change your mind to agree with me. A command to retain, a command to repent. And then uh, we find in, uh, in, in the end of the verse, um, he says, repent. If therefore thou shalt not watch. He's calling them now to realize something. If therefore thou shalt not watch. Meaning, if you don't hear my instruction, if you don't receive what I'm telling you, and you don't Wake up and pay attention. I will come on thee as a thief, and thou shalt not know what hour I will come upon thee. Now, the Lord speaks of his return as far as his second coming as a thief. 
That seems the most likely thing he's referring to. Some would use this to say, oh, see there, this church is going to go through part of the tribulation. It just tells me, the believer, there's no excuse for the Lord to come on us as a thief in the night. That's what 2 Thessalonians says, but you're not in darkness. You're in the light, so wake up, pay attention. But the idea was he's going to catch them off guard. And you know what he was going to do? You know what that church would have happened to them? Church would assemble on Sunday, and they'd say, where's brother so-and-so? I don't know, where's sister so-and-so? I, I don't know. What happened to them? You know, the Lord could come, and only a few members of a church go, because the rest of them aren't even born again. I think that's one application. You know what a thief does? He comes and takes out what's precious. You either, hold, you either strengthen the things that remain, or I'm going to come get them. <laughs> Yeah. And so then uh, there's a warning here that however you want to, to process this, the Lord says, if you're not watchful, I'm going to show up and catch you off guard like a thief in the night. And so he wants them to realize the dire strait they're in. John 6, 63 said, As the spirit that quickeneth, that means it gives life, the flesh profiteth nothing. The words that I speak unto you, they are spirit and they are life. A church begins to die when it quits responding in obedience to the word of God. That's when a church's death begins. When God speaks and we do not act in obedience to what he says, you know what? When God spoke to you about salvation, you know what you did? You act in obedience. He said, you must believe on my son or you'll perish. And you submitted to the truth of God and said, I am unworthy. I need a savior. I believe what you say. And you responded in faith to the word of God. As ye have therefore received Christ Jesus the Lord so... Walk ye in him, rooted and built up, uh, and established in the faith. And so uh, it's the words of Christ that give life. The church begins to die when it quits receiving the words of God. The moment that the receiving of God's word is too uncomfortable to accept is the moment that spiritual death begins to enter. I believe that because of the word of God. All right, the counsel of Christ, and then we'll conclude with this because we're going to have, I'm going to introduce the point, but I'm not going to preach the point tonight because I want to take time on it, verses 4 through 6. I'll read this. The final one is the consolation that he gives to them. Um, verse 4, Thou hast a few names, even in Sardis, what a way to state that, which have not defiled their garments, and they shall walk with me in white, for they are worthy. He that overcometh the same shall be clothed in white raiment, and I will not blot out his name out of the book of life, but I will confess his name before my Father and before his angels, he that hath an ear, let him hear what the Spirit saith unto the churches. I really wanted to spend some time preaching on and speaking about the book of life. And what does it mean? I won't blot his name out of the book. We'll deal with that, God willing, next week. We need to conclude tonight. We're 20 minutes after, so we'll wrap it up. But tonight, a lot said to the church of Sardis that is applicable uh, to us here, our culture that we live in. And so may we not. Wouldn't you say you don't want to be that church that the Lord says everybody thinks you're alive, but you're actually dead well then how can we how can we make sure that's not where we end up it's his word that gives life his word is spirit his words are life we need to make sure that his word has free course in our lives well my prayer request for us as a church for you as the members of this church for myself of course as well but for you is that you will give the word of god free course meaning there'll never come a place where we say i just won't accept that i won't accept the application of god's word in my life and if we ever get there, oh, what spiritual trouble we're in. So let's pray.